Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. This is your host, Alan Reinach. And today we have a very sobering story out of San Francisco. San Francisco State University has been sued, challenged for its pervasive anti-Semitism. Here to talk about the lawsuit, attorney Amanda Berman with the Lawfare Project from, is it New York or Washington? New York. Well, welcome to Freedom's Ring, Amanda. Uh, tell us about this groundbreaking lawsuit and what's been happening at San Francisco State University. Sure, my pleasure. So it's been, frankly, a long time coming. I think the Jewish community in San Francisco has been working pretty nonstop for many years now to try and deal with this problem that's so pervasive and uh, is and so ubiquitous on San Francisco State's campus. Um, but the, the administration, frankly, is such a large part of the problem that trying to address it, you know, with diplomacy and, and with conversations and with negotiations just hasn't worked, has been unsuccessful. So uh, the Lawfare Project became involved in what was going on at San Francisco State last April, uh, April 2016, after the really horrifying disruption of an event hosted by Hillel at San Francisco State um, of the mayor of Jerusalem, Nir Barkat, who was invited to campus to speak about the Israeli tech sector. Um, it was not, you know, a political topic. It was just about the Israeli tech sector. Of course, technology, a really important part of the culture in Northern California. Of course. Um, you know, a really interesting conversation. Um, and, and the mayor is really open to having difficult discussions, to engaging with people with whom he disagrees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, these disruptors were invited, welcomed in by the assistant director of San Francisco Hillel and a welcome to sit down and, and really asked that they respect the presentation and, and engage in, in the conversation portion and the question portion at the end of the presentation. But of course, after just a couple of minutes, um, they began to disrupt screaming genocidal chants and expletives at the mostly Jewish audience, uh, screaming at them to get the F off our campus, of course, with the implication being that Jews are not welcome at SF State. There have been other incidents, similar incidents, where in the past where Jews have been told that they're not welcome, that, that it's a, a Zionist-free campus, that anyone who believes that, you know, Israel has the right to exist um, is, is not welcome there and will face whatever consequences of their positions and, and their belief that the Jewish people have a right to self-determination um, in the Jewish state. But, you know, the issues that are happening on campus are not about Zionism. They're about anti-Semitism. It's not, nobody asked the individuals uh, who were present at the event, at the Barkat event, or at any of the other events or, or issues that are brought to light in the complaint, nobody said to these people, what's your political position on Israel? What do you think about the Israeli government's policies? That's not part of the conversation when Jews are targeted on this campus. And so um, it, Jews are just targeted because they're Jews. And so after we got involved last year, after the Barkat incident, we had the Lawfare Project, we did a, a deep dive into the campus climate and the culture and environment there for Jews, 
And what we found was just so disturbing that um, it just seemed apparent that the only way to address this problem was to bring a lawsuit and compel institutional change. And I think as I've looked at the lawsuit a little bit, um, we have to put the incidents in context of a campus that, uh, you know, in the employment context, which is, is my bread and butter doing employment discrimination cases, uh, we would call it a, a hostile work environment. It's a, an environment that is hostile for Jews. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so pervasively anti-Semitic uh, that it goes way beyond issues of legitimate protest and free speech. Is that fair? Absolutely, it is. And um, and it, it's, it's the same standard. This, our lawsuit, it, you know, the, it's all coming from the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and that pervasively hostile environment standard, the deliberate indifference of the administration is the same. So, yeah, what we have to prove is essentially the same thing that one would have to prove in an employment discrimination case. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I feel so confident in the strength of our lawsuit, but unfortunately, the facts really do seem to indicate that there is a hostile environment there uh, where Jews are not given the same opportunities and the same benefits of enrollment at this university as everyone else. Well, you know, I've been concerned for several years about anti-Semitism on campus. My son spent four years at UC San Diego, even before he was there. Uh, We were hearing reports about Jewish kids getting harassed and attacked and campuses like UC Irvine and um, hostility towards Jewish speakers. And my son reported some of the same kinds of things with uh, his Jewish friends being attacked both on and off campus. And, you know, this kind of challenge to what's happening here in California, which, you know, we think of California, the left coast as being, you know, so liberal and progressive and inclusive and it's equality for everybody. It's not a place that you would naturally expect tolerance for this kind of flagrant anti-Semitism. Yeah, I agree with you. It's sort of a strange twist of reality, what's going on in California. Um, you know, California, of course, as you said, it's, it's always been kind of a bastion of the, the liberal left and, and sometimes the radical left. And I think, unfortunately, what has happened is that this narrative that of oppression has really been extended in a totally inappropriate way by people who are intentionally targeting Jews and those who support the Jewish state. And it's really part of a a massive campaign to denigrate the Jewish people. Unfortunately, gained a lot of traction in the hard left. And I, I say that as someone who identifies with center left. I mean, it's a problem. And California, of course, as sort of a bastion of the the left wing of American politics is really facing the worst of the problem, California campus specifically. Um, it's unfortunate. but with How far sense, back does the lawsuit trace? You know, I gather from reading parts of it, and it's like, what, 75 pages. So true confession, I didn't read the entire complaint. Can't blame you. Uh, but, uh, but I gather that, you know, you're tracing support for, you know, for the Palestinian cause and, you know, kind of institutionalized anti-Semitism back several decades yeah. in this lawsuit. Is that correct? That is correct. And, you know, in tracing these issues and, and the extent of them, the, the timeline of all of that, we're not in any way trying to say that 
the support for the Palestinian cause is is a problem in terms of the law or in terms of free speech. Um, I think a lot of what's being perpetuated, the messages and narratives that are being perpetuated are inherently anti-Semitic, which is unfortunate, but it's not unlawful. There is a First Amendment protected right to speak even things that are not true and even things that are offensive and despicable, frankly. Um, but what we were trying to show with that list of incidents is that there is such protection from the university, such a, um, a profound need to go out of their way at San Francisco State to allow the most offensive denigrations of Jewish people to persist, even when those comments, that behavior, those actions are actually violating or, or interfering with the exercise of the civil rights of the Jewish students and community members on campus. So the Barkat incident is, is really a perfect example of that, where protesters who didn't think that Mayor Barkat should be heard, who didn't want his messages to be heard or, or to, uh, to be listened to, where they thought that their speech was more important and that they had some kind of First Amendment protected right to shut down someone else's speech. Now, they don't. They have a First Amendment right to protest, they have a First Amendment right to say whatever they want, no matter how offensive it is, as long as they're not inciting immediate violence. But they don't have a right to interfere with the Jewish students' exercise of their First Amendment rights. And the university has an obligation to step in and protect the exercise of the First Amendment rights by the Jewish community. But instead, the university actually took active steps to aid and abet the disruption and to say that, you know, they prefer, frankly, the speech of the disruptors more than the Jewish students. So that was their primary concern is protecting the speech of those who were disrupting someone else's lawful assembly. What I hear you saying is you don't object to the protesters' right to express themselves. Where you draw the line is they don't have a right to disrupt the program the invited guest speaker, and those who want to hear him. Exactly. That's exactly right. And I'm glad you brought up the free speech zone because, interestingly, the San Francisco State University campus police who were present at the event um, had had preemptively set up a designated protest area outside of the room <laughs> where the event was going on, which they called a free speech zone. So in calling that outside of the room designated protest area a free speech zone, there was an understanding by the university, by the state actors who were overseeing this event, who have a constitutional obligation to ensure that it proceeds uninterrupted, that a disruption inside of the event is not free speech. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a designated protest area outside, a free speech zone outside. So once the disruption started, there was an obligation to remove the protesters to the free speech zone, which the university itself called the free speech zone. So, you know, nobody is under the impression that this disruptive behavior, that these genocidal chants and these intimidating gestures at the mostly Jewish audience and at the mayor was free speech. Nobody's under that illusion. You know, you're reminding me of what I thought was a very disappointing free speech decision out of the Supreme Court several years ago, where the the Christian haters were disrupting the funeral service with offensive anti-homosexual signs and, and rhetoric and what have you, and the Supreme Court upheld that in the name of free speech. And I thought, you know, they don't have a right to disrupt 
a religious service, which is the funeral service. They, have, you know, I thought that went too far. I think there's got to be a balance between the right of even, you know, unpopular or offensive speech on the one hand, which we do want protected, and the right of others to have their programs not be disrupted. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I know the case you're talking about, and I don't remember the specific facts. Um, I would imagine that the Supreme Court's decision considered that the funeral proceeded, but I don't remember. I'm not positive about that. But the standard, I think, is pretty well accepted, that free speech has got to be protected in every possible circumstance, but that, you know, it can't exist in such a way that one person's speech um, is drowned out by another's. So, you know, I don't, again, I don't remember the, the very specific details of what happened and, and whether the funeral proceeded. And of course, I was disgusted by that whole affair. Sure. But, um, but there is something to the fact that free speech, I mean, there's a reason why the First Amendment is first. Our society will not exist without people being allowed to say things, even when they're totally offensive, even when the communities who are being targeted by that speech really don't want to hear it. And our, our clients in this case, the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, have said explicitly in the lawsuit that they respect and understand the profound nature and the importance of the First Amendment and of free speech and free assembly. This suit is not intended in any way to target anyone else's free speech or advocacy. It's only to ensure that Jewish people on this campus are allowed the same right to speak freely as everyone else. We're about out of time. I certainly hope you get a lot of good press on this because, of course, in the past year or more, there's been an explosion of, it seems like it's open season, people are allowed to be publicly bigoted and, and anti-Semitic or anti-Muslim or whatever, and uh, it's certainly time that there's some pushback and uh, we try to restore some measure of civility. Our guest today has been Amanda Berman. We've been talking about a groundbreaking lawsuit against San Francisco State University challenging the pervasive anti-Semitism. Ms. Berman, thank you so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. My pleasure. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom, we help those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.